Scarletto, everybody. We're well, not ladies of Scarletto. We gotta start that over. That's already wrong. <laughs> Ready? Uh, we're so rusty. Uh, we are. Uh, all right. Hey, Scarlettos. We are your ladies of Scarlet. It's uh, it's been a minute. We um, we took some time. We we took a little break. We had I think finished thirty five episodes. But um, we we rested up and now we're we're coming back. So welcome back to the routine, Sonia. Oh man, I'm so excited about the routine. I have to say, um, well, two things. First off, you know it's been crazy lately with the COVID nineteen thing and working from home. And Brittany, you know this too. We've been slammed. And um, when I look at my life and I kind of think, oh, I need to really like find my happy place. And then I, I go and I sit down and I watch a bunch of documentaries about true crime and murder. And I'm like, this is my happy place. This makes me feel good. Yeah, it's a little disturbing, but it truly is. You know, I've missed it. I miss talking to you about this stuff. I mean, we talk all the time, but not about anything you know, no, not like this. enjoyable question, the whatever, like air quotes, but you know, just, I think things we're passionate about. Plus, you know, we, I, I miss the banter. So I'm so excited. We are back. We did take a bit of a break, um, you know, to catch our breaths, so much going on and some things that, you know, were happening in the world that I felt I just didn't really have, um, I didn't, I didn't need a voice at that moment. I thought that it, the, the situations are speaking for themselves. So out of respect to those situations, I thought it was kind of a good idea for us to take a moment and to look around at what was happening. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, we, you, you kind of touched on it. We were slammed with our regular lives. So um, I, I felt like I needed an opportunity to step back for a bit. I felt like... It wasn't the, re- the the right time, the best time to be concentrating on this, but um, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm really looking forward to getting back. I think we're gonna have a few changes that we'll um, we we hope you like that we think will hopefully improve. We are working on trying to build our brand a little bit and hopefully make Scarlet TCP a little bit better. That's right. And um, I'm excited about tonight because in this episode, you know, as we normally do for each each record, you know, we record a couple of episodes at a time and we usually start, you know, we develop the system where we could really get into our, our groove quickly by just having a sort of a run and gun top three conversation. And, you know, it's just a moment for us to talk about things, um, you know, quickly, uh, you know, mm-hmm. top line that allows us, you know, just to get warmed up without having too much detail and too much reference material. And um, this, I, I suggested this topic to you. And the topic is, I said, you know, let's talk about our top three unjust 
verdicts or what most people would call wrongful convictions, right? Uh And um, I said that in passing because, you know, I had a lot of things on my mind and I had been watching some things lately and I, I, one of my favorite documentaries about some true crime a true crime situation is is in particular about that and um I, then i started limiting my list and it was really hard so my list is actually probably a little different than you're expecting but let's dive right into it let's do our right. top three wrongful convictions well you can't leave me baited like that so this was your topic you seem to have some unique thoughts so why don't you get us started well, let's go back a little bit, because what do we mean by wrongful convictions? That's like, I thought it best, I mean, I wasn't even calling it the wrong thing ring. I was saying unjust verdicts, right? Uh-huh, but right. <laughs> wrongful convictions, the more appropriate terminology, and uh-huh. um, used by most. I I had a hard time, you know, because there's so many. I was really <laughs> sure. saddened by the number of 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 wrongful convictions and the people who are sitting in jail now because of it. So I my choice for my top three is actually just one case. Oh. And um I had a yeah, I know. I had a really hard time trying to figure out who I would put on my list because all of the wrongful convictions in my opinion are, are terrible. Right. Terrible situations. Yeah, of course. Like definitely and I didn't want to disrespect any of those other choices honestly it's not fair for me to say oh one's better than the other and in this one i was like oh this is this is a tough one but go back a little bit to wrongful convictions i want to call our audience's attention to a really really interesting um piece of literature not literature that op-ed piece by john grisham right and we know who john grisham is world famous attorney writer and he did an amazing job of summarizing the eight reasons for America's shameful number of wrongful convictions. And he wrote it for the LA Times. It was written in 2018. I would suggest you guys reading it. It's so fascinating because he writes like a screenwriter. So he writes in a way that really is compelling. And no, and so you're entertained by his piece, but he is so right on with it. And, you know, just a summary of wrongful convictions in the United States. I think that the, right now, the average that's considered, you know, the for wrongful convictions versus other convictions is 2% to 10%. I feel like yeah, that's a I lot. Yo, it's a real lot. I actually was going to say it's like 10%, which is way, way too many. It's a lot. Yeah, no, there, there was a great quote, I think even by Ronald Reagan, who kind of prided himself on law and order, that pretty much said, one wrongful wrongful conviction is worse than 100 guilty men going free i agree with you ben it's but it's rampant and it usually you know i have to say most of the time it revolves around people who don't have the ability the financial means or um the support in any other way really to be able to um you know, defend themselves. They've probably got a, a typical, you know, someone assigned to their case as an attorney. I mean, it's a lot easier to to defend yourself when you have a lot of money and you can afford good representation. So that's oh yeah, it, for sure. It 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 really does suck. But um, the John Grisham piece is really interesting, and he contributes. Um, you know, the, the number of wrongful convictions to a couple of things. You know, his his top, in no particular order, he says, are bad police work, prosecutorial misconduct, false confessions, faulty eyewitness identification, 
jailhouse snitches, which <laughs> I don't know why people would think that would be really, you know, sort of okay to when you're when somebody's life is on the line to listen to someone in jail trying to get a reduced sentence it's weird uh Mm -hmm. bad lawyering sleeping judges meaning just letting things happen and then junk science so it's a really good article if you want to um guys want to look at it because i i just think john grisham is really talented and when he writes um for the people he really understands how to convey that message so now that we talked about wrongful convictions and what they are, and we talked about how many that are currently happening, the percentage anyway, 2% to 10%, but I can tell you in the past, I'm sure that that has been much more, especially when it comes to people of color or, you know, people who are compromised and, and vulnerable. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, sorry, that was really, that was a whole... Was a long intro. So I know. I even got lost. For, without further ado, <laughs> you're number three. Well, I want to talk about my number three because, like I said, my number three is actually all three of my uh-huh. my wrongful convictions yeah. are from one case, right. uh, and that case is the West Memphis Three. And again, my choice was it, this: the specific case really was disturbing to me in so many ways, and really well documented. And there are every other wrongful conviction is probably as bad or worse, but this one just really hit home for me for a variety of reasons. You had, in 1994, or 1993, three young boys, eight years old to, I think they were in second grade, murdered horrendously. Um, Obviously, they were tortured. There was, hard to tell about, you know, sexual abuse and things like that. Um, If you don't know this case, I would look into it. It's called the West West Memphis Three, West West Memphis, Arkansas. and, you know, sleepy little town, little country town. There were these three second graders, uh, apparently, were out, you know, doing whatever second graders do, riding their bicycles. And um, someone snatched them, took them to the woods, um, hogtied them. It looked like they raped them. They mutilated their bodies, and then they left them in the creek bed. So... What actually ended up happening was one of the boys died by blunt force trauma and a variety of other things. And um, the other two boys actually drowned in the creek bed, but they too were hogtied. And um, there's an interesting documentary called Paradise Lost um, about this case because, and it's, I, I will f- warn everyone to, to, when you watch it, if you watch it, there are graphic photos of the children and, and the way that they were found. And it's really, really horrifying. And this, this town, the small little Bible Belt town just didn't know what to do with it. So cut to um, three teenagers um, that somehow or another got roped into um, the situation as suspects. Sounds to me like one of them who didn't know the other two very well, but knew them. Um, you've got the, the three, the three, and this is, these are my three, my three, you know, essentially are the three guys who were wrongfully convicted for the crimes. And I think it's known now that they were wrongfully convicted. I think it's, everybody would agree. Um, but I'll go through each of them. And then I also want to talk a little bit about the, the little boys that were murdered because it's totally terrible. Um, but it was really, really hard. So I'll stop there. Um, but so that makes, I know, I know, crazy, right? So that makes my number three on my list. Now that I gave you some backup backstory for the West Memphis Three, um, now we'll talk about my number three 
of the wrongful convictions. And that uh-huh. is particular to this case. And his name is Jesse Miss Kelly. He was 17 years old. Um, he <laughs> came forward somehow um, with the police. Either they picked him up. I'm not sure how they got him in- involved, but they essentially questioned him and got him to confess to the crimes saying that he and two other people who are my number two and my number one um, worked together and did this crime, committed the crime against these three boys. And um, it was, and, and said it was part of like a satanic ritual. So we'll leave it at that. A couple of things about Jesse Miss Kelly, um, as you know, if you if you go and you look into the case, it's, what's interesting is he he did have a bad reputation. I think that he had um, his IQ was compromised. I think he had a very low IQ, which is one of the reasons they say that he was easily um, vulnerable to you know being prompted and questioning and confessions. And um, th- what's crazy about it, the Jesse Miss Kelly guy, the one who pretty much blew the whistle on these other two kids who were became suspects and then were ultimately found guilty they didn't know each other very well mm-hmm. so here you've got a guy saying hey yeah me and these two guys we went and we grabbed these two three boys and we drug them into the woods and i held them down while these other two guys did these things to this these these boys they didn't really know each other like out of the blue these other two guys get roped into this and in you know it, you can kind of see it unfold in the documentary but i will hold i will reserve my number two or in my number one for later but my first is obviously that jesse miss kelly kid um you know, who just needed to get the hell out of the police station. He was like, he, he would have said anything at that point. And he essentially just sure, said, he said what he had heard about the case. And he, many of the things that he noted were wrong. So of course, a person at his age, you know, not having representation in the room um, of questionable, you know, IQ, who was easily persuaded, you know, he, he, he didn't have much of a chance. No, I, um, I am not surprised that you picked that topic. I know it's one that you are passionate about. It's a frustrating topic for anyone that is familiar with it or has watched Paradise Lost. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's a three-part docu-series that's like set over the course of like 20 years or something, right? Yeah, it's um you can watch there is that and then there's also one that it looks like HBO just compiled together to make one like 140 okay, minute piece. But um yeah, that, so once they had all of these three pieces because they had recorded or shot this over time, um then they they did compile it. At the time they were releasing them individually and there was a lot of people behind um supporting these guys and it it didn't help. I mean, they spent 18 years in jail. Uh, I mean, for crimes that really they were, there was no proof that they did. They, right, did, I mean, right. other than a couple of things that led this town to sort of call them out and to ostracize them. And we'll talk about those, 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 those reasons later. Cause this is where I can kind of really associate myself with these boys. And it's terrifying to think you could just get railroaded like that. Okay. So my number three is not as deep, as that um i'll get there but my number three is the hollywood 10 and are you familiar with the hollywood 10 sonia no what is that that sounds really okay. is that sounds like a bar <laughs> it's like um, fun well it's it's probably not quite what you're thinking of but we're gonna we're gonna do a little history lesson right now after uh world war ii ended in the late 40s there was a senator from 
my pride and joy, Wisconsin, Joseph McCarthy, who was um, went on a very strong anti-communist tear through the country, and he set his sights on Hollywood. And there were hundreds, if not thousands, of Hollywood executives, writers, producers, actors that were targeted as being either potential communist, communist sympathizers, uh, Stalinists, what have you. And while communism was not illegal in America, as you can imagine, it was extremely frowned on and uh, not something that anyone wanted to be considered a part of. So in uh, 1947, he started, uh, he, Joseph McCarthy, uh, started the House Un-Americans Committee, or HUAC, and subpoenaed 79 people uh, claiming that they were communists. Of those 79, ultimately 10 of them would come to stand trial in front of Congress. Now, again, it wasn't illegal to be a communist in America, but they were ultimately blacklisted, and their trial was not for being a communist, but for perjuring themselves. So these 10 Hollywood creatives, uh, political ideation unclear you know they just they denied ultimately being true communists they they denied you know being the stalinists or supportive of the soviet union but they were determined to have lied to congress and perjured themselves and were sentenced to eight months in federal prison and that was the start of what many people can still hear of and, and are, are familiar with of the Hollywood blacklist. Uh, and so the Hollywood blacklist is an unofficial list. At the time, it was a real list of, uh, at this time, it was a list of communists or communist sympathizers who worked in Hollywood who were no longer allowed to work in Hollywood. Uh, blacklisting is still a thing where your name gets spread around town and you essentially are no longer allowed to, unofficially, no longer allowed to work and you're unhirable. But this was the start of the blacklist system through what many consider an unjust trial in front of Congress of ultimately 10 influential creatives that may or may not have been communists in a free country. Wow. So what, what happened? They were, they were found guilty of perjury, the only crime they legally could have been found guilty of for saying they weren't communists in front of Congress, even though, under oath, even though they were felt that they were communists, and so lying to Congress, and they spent eight months in prison and never were able to get their jobs or regain their jobs back. Um, there was a, I haven't seen this, but there was 
for you really old-fashioned Hollywood nerds, kind of like myself, who kind of wants to see this, uh, there was a 16-millimeter documentary shot about it in the 50s, but then there's also a movie called One of the Hollywood Ten that focused specifically on one screenwriter who uh, fought the hardest to try and proclaim his innocence despite being found guilty. And when was this? Uh, late 40s, early 50s. Uh, it was throughout what is known as the HUAC period, the House on American Activities Committee period, led by Joseph McCarthy. And it was kind of a tirade that he went on to rid the country of any potential communist sympathizers. And he set his focus on Hollywood and the Hollywood system. I have to say, and we'll talk about my feelings about that era in another episode, but um, there was a lot of shady stuff that happened around that time. I mean, it was um, it was the Wild West in Hollywood. Okay, on to your number two, even though you already kind of gave it away. I did, sorry. So back to the West Memphis Three case. Uh, I sort of Tarantinoed this whole process, by the way, so I get <laughs> it, uh, by the way. Um, I like that you used the Tarantino reference. Yeah, Tarantino for sure. Did. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my number two is Jason Baldwin, who was another one of the West Memphis Three in Arkansas, 1994, convicted of uh, murdering, being a participant in murdering three second graders and mutilating their bodies. And he was sentenced to life in prison. He, as well as the other boys, eventually, after 18 years, um, they did some kind of plea deal using the Alford plea, and they were released but it ultimately ruined their life. I mean, these guys were in jail f- from being 17 years old, you know, up until 18 years later. So their lives had changed dramatically because of this. What was interesting about Jason Baldwin, again, the other guy who ratted on them, the the confession or the the whatever we're going to call it, the, the guy who had some problems and confessed under pressure, he didn't really, I mean, he didn't know them. They weren't close friends. He didn't know Baldwin, nor did he know the other suspect as well. Um, Baldwin was interesting. He, you know, he, while, while the other guys, the other two West Memphis three guys, they did get in some trouble, some vandalism, some shoplifting. Um Baldwin actually got really good grades. Jason Baldwin was not a dumb kid. He was a smart kid. He was a really good artist, apparently. He was talented. And um, I guess he was going to go on to college to study graphic design. Um, in When I unveil my number one, which you guys already know if you know the West <laughs> Memphis Three, we'll talk a little bit about those things that they they were had in common. Um, but, you know, my again, my number two, Jason Baldwin, poor kid, 16 years old, you know, 17 goes to jail for what he thinks is the rest of his life um, for a crime he really, really didn't commit that appears to be well proven that he didn't commit. So, again, you know, <clears throat> the travesty of justice and a really sad situation. All right. My number two is Reuben Hurricane Carter, who I first learned about and uh, became, he became, I think, probably pretty famous, because of a Bob Dylan song called The Hurricane. You know that song, Sonia? I hate Bob Dylan. I know you do. That's why I asked. 
god like that was that's i don't there's no comparison to what you could ask me that i'm like i that's the furthest from my 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 world of music and i don't mind folk music i just bob dylan's voice just makes me crazy you know i had a teacher one time compared bob dylan's voice as the most successful worst singer of all time specifically referring to his voice i'd probably agree with that uh, but he's a hell of a songwriter and his his song the hurricane is an eight minute plus song about reuben carter who was a middleweight boxer in the 1960s in patterson new jersey and he happened to be at a neighboring bar to where a armed robbery and shooting that led to the death of a couple of patrons took place and he the witnesses claimed that they saw two maybe three black men that were uh, the the assailants and at a similar time carter and two other men were leaving a neighboring bar and then were no doubtedly trailed by police. And at this time, Carter was not, he didn't have a clean slate. He was dishonorably discharged from the military for uh, disciplinary reasons. He had charges against him for abuse, but he was cleaning up his act and he was on pace to be to challenge for the uh, world boxing middleweight championship of the world when he was pulled over after dropping a friend off and arrested ultimately charged and was convicted of murder now the witnesses who claimed to see uh, that the shooters were black did not pin Carter to the scene. They did not identify him as a suspect. There was a a female witness who called attention to a different suspect, but that suspect said he was just robbing the place and he wasn't responsible for any of the deaths. Hmm. And the, I will, I seriously have to say like, he ultimately uh, was released from prison in the 90s uh, because the witnesses recanted and there was evidence to support that he was never actually at that bar. And seriously, though, like that Bob Dylan song can sum up this case so well in eight minutes. And then there's a 1999 movie starring Denzel Washington that's about the same case that I've seen parts of, and it's pretty good. But it's it's really a case that I've always found fascinating, particularly because of that song. And I seriously would recommend anyone who's got eight minutes to do the dishes or uh, running errands or something, just throw on that song. You will get a really great history lesson. I think I saw that movie. Yeah? Did you see it? I've seen parts of it. I don't know why I didn't see the whole thing. I I like Denzel. I don't remember. I know, I do too. Huh. All right. Well, very... So what... I mean, what was the end result? Did he get convicted? Did he die? No, no, no. He was was convicted, but uh, he served like 20 years in prison and then was released after witnesses ultimately recanted and there was actually really no evidence to support that he was there 
Oh, well, that's awesome. Way to wait 20 freaking years. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. How do you live with yourself? Even if, I mean, I would doubt myself like day one when it comes to someone's life. Of course. In my hands. I mean, that is on the list, you know. I mean, uh-huh. I think that eyes and things are deceiving you know when you're in a moment and you think you're seeing something or you thought you saw something really clearly but you know i mean how well did you see it you know it's just it's it's so tough all right well i like that one so you've got one left right and you're you're number one you're no one's gonna round us out all right so you uh you take us away for your number one my number one is again one of the West Memphis Three. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Probably the most well-known, Damien Eccles. He was 18 years old when the crime occurred. So, of course, he was a- an adult um, and tried accordingly. And I think the other two boys were as well. I didn't think that they really cared at that point um, because the crime was so horrendous. Um, Damien Eccles was from a poor family. He didn't attend school very often. He had a girlfriend. They ran off. Um, I don't know. They ran and broke into some trailer and then Eccles was charged with burglary. So he had some, you know, stuff. I mean, he wasn't like a violent criminal. He was just a dumb kid. And I think when you watch Paradise Lost, you'll see that it's what's terrifying to me a bit when I watch that is it really does appear to me in a lot of the video that they shot of him that he doesn't have um he doesn't have any feelings about the situation um not that he doesn't have feelings about his own innocence but he and 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 a lot of people say well why would he have remorse he didn't do it but respect for the situation is what I think was a bit missing. And that really offended people. Um, when you're talking about a crime such as this and this, when you see these little boys and what happened to them and, um, it, it was, you know, really, really horrendous. And he, um, appeared in court sometimes to be indifferent. He, uh, I mean, he just didn't take it seriously. And I don't know if any of them took it seriously. I mean, obviously the guy who confessed, he didn't take it seriously when he was confessing. He just wanted to get out of there. But um, Damien Eccles, you know, he was the perfect patsy for this crime um, in Arkansas at the time because, again, it was such a Bible belt. And this was a kid who, you know, later on, I think they figured out that he had some mental um, deficiencies as well. He had, um, you know, grandiose and persecutory delusions, auditory and visual hallucinations, disordered thought processes, substantial lack of insight, and chronic incapacitating mood swings. Um, You know, he had some stuff going on. And um, he... It's just really perplexing. You know, I I think that he thought it was a joke. And I think later he even tries to say that he thought it was a joke and didn't take it seriously. But it's... When you watch it, it's, it's... kind of offensive if you're sitting in a room full of people watching this trial go down against these these suspects and they aren't taking it seriously or he doesn't appear to be taking it seriously and isn't isn't at least thoughtful about the situation it's um you really dislike him and i'll tell you why i have a feeling an association with damien eccles 
and I don't, not necessarily about this, but one of the big reasons that these three kids were sort of targeted was because they were the poor kids. They were the dark kids. And when I say dark, I mean, they were, you know, they weren't the, the jocks or the popular kids. You know, they were the outliers. They listened to heavy metal music. They wore black clothes. They had black fingernails. I mean, they were, you know, some of them, people associated them with being goth. Even though Jason Baldwin was a goth, I mean, he was just a heavy metal kid. He had a little mullet, like, no big damn deal. Um, I mean, it was really weird. But Damien Echols definitely had played that part and then of course they found nonsense um you know at damien eccles house which they thought proved the point they found like the satanic bible and some other literature and he had said at one point that he was into wicca and they had him read his binder and some of the poems he wrote and yeah they were a little dark but i have to say you know what attracted me to this case in particular was because i really felt like that they were ostracized from their community because of those reasons they were considered punks um satanic you know this was all about a a satanic ritual um that's so unfair these guys are kids right and they're being persecuted like that just for being you know not part of the popular group and i felt like that when i was young you know i definitely my crowd was a little more uh well definitely more on the outlier side of things and you know hey we wore black who cares like i don't know if that was like a big deal for us it wasn't like that defined us but we you know we definitely didn't have that you know i mean when you're a teenager and you're not part of the popular group you're anything if you're anything but the popular group you're probably not enjoying yourself that much unless you're completely oblivious because you always those the people who are the popular kids make sure you know you're not and that's where i feel for these guys because it's so true they they love it they enjoy it it's like you know who i mean if they didn't bother you it wouldn't be one thing but i know how it is they do bother you you know they make you know all the time that you are not part of the group you do not fit in um and it's crappy so you know this happened in 1993 i think the the murders and they were convicted in 1994 that would that's not that many years after i graduated from high school so it was probably around that same time but it was you know i i thought that really was a bummer for those guys and so that's why there's a lot of support behind these guys um and especially in the heavy metal community like i think metallica allowed them to use like their music for free in the paradise lost documentary i mean there was a big Uh following like i had heard about west memphis three for a long time i mean you know because you've got you know once the misfits get together and there's enough of them then the misfits are the majority and then shit kind of goes down and that's what happened was that everybody who had felt like that and ever, you know, kind of banded together and said, no, we can't let this happen to these guys because this is a circumstance that we could have been in, in the right, at the right time. But, um, that is my number, number one was Damien Eccles and man, some terrible, these guys, look again, these guys were in jail for 18 years, 18 years from being teenagers. So they grew up in jail, which is horrifying and terrible things happened to them while they were in jail. I mean, Damien Eccles, he, he was raped, you know, they were, it was, they're they're what it, you know what happens to to child killers in jail you know and child molesters in jail not good things you know i nope, mean they're they're bad. they're in particular they're very much targeted you know so and these guys were teenagers they were young so i really doubt they could defend themselves but um again take a look at paradise lost it's a really interesting 
um, documentary for sure. And you can look at it in the pieces or you can look at it as the whole. There's some crazy characters in that show as well. It's a, uh, you know, I, I kept thinking some of this was in Tennessee, but Memphis is in Tennessee. But this is actually Arkansas, which is a different flavor of, of folk. So take a look. But that's my top three. Brittany, what's your number one? Okay, so my number one, you could call number one, you could call number one through five, you could even call number one through ten, because my number one is the Central Park Five. That's a good one. That is a good one. The Central Park Five are five teenage boys who were... I accused of accused and convicted, I should say, of assault, robbery, riot, attempted murder, rape, and sexual abuse. And they ranged in the ages of fourteen to sixteen. And this is a an event that took place on April nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine, in Central Park, New York, between 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. on a woman named Trisha Melly. And these young boys who um, were just kind of hanging out were really, I mean, they're truly innocent kids. Truly. Um, So much so that one of the boys, the youngest one, Still hadn't hit puberty, so his uh, the the crime of rape was clearly not possible for him. These boys were taken in for questioning that night. They were held without their parents. They were promised things like food, drinks, the ability to go home. In order, in exchange for a confession. So these immature young kids, of course, complied. Which we all know, having seen plenty of documentaries, of true crime series, listening to enough podcasts like this, know that complying without a parent or legal representative is the worst possible situation for someone to be put in. And, of course, they, uh, their confessions were held up, taken to prison, or taken to court, and they were sentenced to prison. So the reason I say five, or uh, there are up to ten, because that same night in Central Park, there were other events that took place. And there were actually five other teenagers that were indicted for uh, assault, and attacks on other persons. But it's these five boys in particular that are referred to as the Central Park Five that are, uh, they were the ones that were held and convicted of rape and uh, sexual assault. And um, four were ultimately convicted. One was uh, convicted on a lesser charge but was 16, so he was tried as an adult. All five of them were charged or convicted and sentenced to up to 15 years in prison and ultimately served between seven and eight years. They were naturally uh, found not guilty 
and um, their convictions were vacated in 2002. It was an extremely uh, uproarious event. I was too young to remember the event, but I can look back and, and read articles and watch footage of it. And there was there was a, um, a a cry out for justice against them because there was so much evidence that was incorrectly mounted against them that they never had a shot at a fair trial. And it's uh, there's a Netflix series, and I, I want to call it a great Netflix series by uh, Ava DuVarney called. When they see us, but I hold on calling it great, not because it isn't, but because I had such a hard time watching it. I literally watched the first episode and the treatment of these innocent, young, naive boys disturbed me so much. I could not bring myself to watch the rest of it. And I feel for the victim in this case, too, because she was so badly battered and bruised and raped she could not identify who attacked her so her assailant ultimately was never found she's obviously the victim in this case in addition to these kids but she never got justice and these kids paid a price for something that they never had anything to do with and naively admitted to committing just because they were looking for an out in the middle of the night trying to get home. That is awful. I have been meaning to watch that show, or that series, and um, I know the subject matter is really tense and sensitive, so I've been putting it off. I have to be honest with you. I'm sure it's awesome. I love her. I love the director. Um, I agree, because it is so tense, and it's, like I said, it made me so angry. I couldn't keep watching it. I needed to get back to it. I need to do it justice to finish watching it. But it really pulled at me and really, it really got to me and upset me about the treatment uh, that, that we see on screen that is true to life. What are you, um, so what happened? What, did, what happened with those guys? Did they like let them go? I mean, what was the outcome? So they, they all served their time uh, between <laughs> six and eight years. And then in 2002, they uh, petitioned and succeeded in having their, their charges vacated. <laughs> Great. Yes. That's such bullshit. Oh, it yeah, it is. It's just, it's, it's disgusting. It's a horrible tragedy and, and miscarriage of the justice system. Hmm. What's that? I'm sorry for suggesting this topic, by the way. <laughs> yeah, way to go. You really started us on a downer. Man. I know. I'm so sorry. I was thinking about it and I was looking at my list and then I'm like, ah, why don't I just Google, you know, wrongful convictions? The multitude, uh-huh. I was, I was, so many. I was overwhelmed and I couldn't, I, I know. it would take me weeks to read through all of them. Um, the, the bigger ones, you know, I mean, I think that the, the exonerations are going up, but, you know, to, the need for exoneration shouldn't happen either. Um, but, man, you know, you, you're going to choose the top three next. It's all you. I'll try and be a little more lighthearted. I know. Um, I, w- I will say, you know, to your, to your point about exonerations going up and having sentences vacated, you know, a lot of credit goes to the Innocence Project, uh, project who dedicates themselves to 
going out there, taking on cases pro bono for wrongly convicted felons and doing everything they can to return to trial, to overturn the cases based on evidence that was either missed or skipped over or just ignored at the time that the convictions happened. And so they really deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, no, they thank God there are people out there who are supporting those causes. And, you know, it's, again, you know, it's, there's so many of them, so it's so hard to get their voices heard, but I'm thankful that there's something in place to, to help these folks. Um, but the goal would be to reduce this number, the percentage greatly. You know, I don't think the 10% is acceptable. No, it's a, it's a terrible amount. 1% yeah. is not acceptable. It's, yeah. it's awful. Yep. All right, Scarlettos. Well, there's our, uh, our our top three for this week. So our top three wrongful convictions. Um, I need a breather after that. I need to I need to cool down a little bit. I know. Um, all right. I know. All right. Thanks, Scarlettos. Keep killing it. Now, check out a couple other podcasters that uh, support us, and we want to give them some support. Hey, fellow Scarlet True Crime listeners. I'm Cece, the host of a new true crime podcast, Sooner State True Crime. As a born and bred Okie, I'll cover cases based in my wonderful home state of Oklahoma. The term Sooner actually refers to cheaters in the land run my state's very first true crime. New episodes are released twice a month in Apple Podcasts and most podcast apps. Or visit our website, anchor.fm slash crimestate to listen now. So come away with me to my crime state on the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. And please stay Sooner safe out there, y'all. Hi, everyone. I'm Ariel Cooksey, host of Malice. When violent acts occur, we tend to think the predators are monsters. Surely no human could do such things. But if we're honest, only humans commit malicious crime. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me at Malice, wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. Hey, y'all. I'm Brandon Hall. I'm one of the hosts of Music City 911, a podcast about the good, the bad, and the dark side of 911 dispatching. Me and my co-hosts are 911 dispatchers with over 60 years of experience. Join us as we play 911 calls and discuss them. Oh, did I mention that we get dark? 911, what's your emergency? I just shot everybody right now. You just shot everybody? How many people did you shoot? Uh, three. Four, shot five. 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 Four, shot you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Music City 911, and we're downloadable on every podcast platform.
We want to give a shout out to the Pod All the Time podcast network that we, Scarlett TCP, are proud members of. Other members of the Pod All the Time podcast network are Creative Intuitive, Another Digital Citizen, History of a Haunting, Round and Round the Podcast, Real AKA Truth Podcast, Ruck Up Podcast, Random Unnamed Podcast, Suburban Folk, Three Peas in a Podcast, Raw Sex Podcast, I Think We're Doing It Podcast. So if you like what you're hearing from Scarlet TCP, check out these other shows, the members of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network.